Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncomplicated, a podcast for education professionals, MAT leaders, school staff, teachers, and anyone who's interested in what's going on in the world of education. My name is Tom Kershaw, and I'm a senior education market specialist at Iris Software Group. And today I'm joined by Dr. Christopher Mansell, Chief Executive Officer of Birmingham Diocesan Multi Academy Trust. Hi, Tom. Hi, Chris. Um, now, regardless of people's views and, and the dropping of the schools bill, I guess we're at the point where we now have more children educated in academies than, than in maintained schools. And if not by 2030, in the near future, we will probably have a fully trust-led system with somewhere between 1,000, 1,500 multi-academy trusts, something like that in England. Now, the reason I've asked Christopher to join me today so this obviously raises the issue of how the performance of these trusts should be measured and how they should be regulated, you know, far above just the financial regulation of the ESFA that's already in place. You know, what should the criteria be? Is Ofsted the right body to be inspecting mats? And what form should the inspection take? Now, Ofsted have been carrying out mat summary evaluations for the past few years to try to understand how trusts might be inspected. So I wonder, Christopher, before diving into this, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your trust for context? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, So we are a trust based in the West Midlands and currently we have 19 schools spread across three local authorities, uh, Birmingham, Solihull and Warwickshire. Um, 18 of those schools are primary and one is a secondary school and 18 are church schools and one is a non-church school. Yeah, thank you for that. So I've only really been a handful of these mat summary evaluations, Christopher, and, and um, I'm going to come at this from a rather naive perspective. I mean, my understanding is that they're possibly a three day process. There are some ungraded inspections of schools, uh, a visit to head office and then maybe a visit round um, academies that weren't inspected in the first part of the process. I mean, was this your experience? So partly right there, Tom, on what happened with us. So we were the first uh, multi-academy trust to have one of these summary evaluations post pandemic. And during the pandemic, they'd slightly revised the framework that they were using. Um, As far as I know, they hadn't piloted these. So we were also a pilot in one way for the new way of working. So all of our inspections in the batch, um, what they call the batch inspections, which was the term before the MATSI, were actually full schedule five graded inspections. And we had five of those during that period. Um, I think there probably should have been six. I think one just missed um, getting through for whatever reasons at Ofsted. So we had one straight away um, in the next term. And our evaluation was also four days uh, rather than than three days. Right. So quite a heavy process there then with a lot of lot of inspections. Um, So. I guess I don't necessarily want this to be the focus of what we're discussing here. I think we've got far more interesting things to discuss, but it does beg the question. Is there any uh, sort of hints and tips, anything that you think that MAT leaders could do to prepare if they had to go through such a process? Yeah, sure. I think um, first thing is to keep an eye out on when your inspections are happening and do they look unusual in the sense of um, too many inspections happening at the same time? Are they out to track a little bit with what's happening in your local area? So we started to to see that our inspections that were being called, although they were in the window and post pandemic, nearly all schools were in the window one way or the other anyway. But they seem to be coming earlier compared to schools that have been inspected at the same time um, previously. So that gave us a bit of an idea that they, we were potentially going to get a MATSI. Um, for us, those inspections started coming through kind of October time, uh, November time in the autumn term. And actually, that did give us time to prepare and think about the potential uh, for a MATSI. 
And so we did things like meeting with our trustees, talk about the process and the framework that was in place. We met with our head teachers and governors to discuss it with them too. And it also gave us time to kind of sharpen up our summary evaluation and our MAT development plan with that in mind. Now, the actual call to let us know we we're having the MATSI didn't actually happen until the first day after February half term. So it was a while afterwards. OK, and, and I mean, I've had a look through the report and I, I can't really decide whether it's whether it's long or short. I mean, it's it, it's, it's longer than, than a normal Ofsted inspection for a school, but actually, you know, for a whole for a whole trust. um, obviously it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's brief like the single school um, ones. I mean, what, what was your experience of the process and what, what, what physically happened? Yeah, sure. So as I say, we got the phone call uh, first day back after February half term. Uh, that was on a Monday and it was the typical time, as it were, for Ofsted calls. It was about half past ten. Right. Uh, and it was the HMI who would be leading it who made that call directly to the office. The office then gave her my number uh, and um, she phoned me. We actually had a week then of preparation with the HMI to get ready for the, the review. Uh, and excuse me if I keep referring to it as an inspection. Of course, it wasn't an inspection. And the HMI was at pains throughout the process to make sure we realised it wasn't a, an inspection. But it's easy to keep referring to it as that. Sure. Sure. So um, a number of conversations during that week, um, backwards and forwards, getting the timetable together, the practicalities regarding it, giving the HMI a little bit more of an understanding of the context um, sending over the summary evaluation we'd done, the MAT uh, development plan, those processes all went over. But the actual review started at half past nine the following Monday. That was at our central office and we had three inspectors, three HMIs and for us, we also had quality assurance by one of the regional um, leads within Ofsted West Midlands. And the process for us started off with a 90 minute uh, opportunity for the executive team to discuss our mat, to do presentations. We each of us in the executive team took a, an aspect and did a presentation. And then it was followed by meetings with different HMIs and different members of the executive. So um, I met with them to discuss the impact of the mat and leadership. The director of education met to discuss curriculum and behaviour, safeguarding lead, discussed arrangements across the trust. And there was also meetings that day of trustees. On Tuesday, the inspectors were in school all of that day. So three inspectors um, on that day, three visits in the morning, three visits in the afternoon. And on each of the days, there was a kind of keeping in touch or a team meeting back at the central office, um, just as you would have on a normal um, section five. On Wednesday morning, um, the inspectors uh, stayed in their hotels and made phone calls to all of the schools that hadn't been either part of the original batch inspections in the October or November time or part of the visits the day before. And then in the afternoon, they were in the central office and again meeting with members of the central team, uh, this time looking at pupil attainment, our approach to reading, early years, maths, SEND and the wider curriculum. Thursday was a day of reflection for the inspectors in our office again and a number of number of keeping in touch meetings during the day um, with a final feedback at around about half past two um, on the um, outcome of their, their visit. OK, so just out of interest, then, do you, do you think that that sort of period was enough to be able to get a fair reflection of, of the of the whole multi academy trust, its culture and the way it operates? 
It was very intense. I would say that. And it was two weeks of being very intense as well yeah. for the executive team. Um, so the report that was published um, eventually, and that is on the, the Ofsted website for anyone to see, we do feel was a true reflection um, of us as a trust. But that took a lot of work, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, getting everything ready for the inspectors. So, yeah, just about doable. Did they see it all or was it a superficial look? I would imagine in reality with 19 schools, three inspectors for kind of just a few couple of days, really, it to some degree has to be superficial. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I suppose the bit where you said, you know, they're in their hotel rooms ringing out, they can't physically get round to all those sites in the time they've got available. Um, no, and let's say we are a geographically fairly local trust. We're, I think there's 35 miles distance between the kind of two schools furthest apart. Right. But it does make you wonder how well you could do this process if you're one of the large national maps with 50 schools etc how do you really get that feel about how the trust is doing yeah no no that's a that's a very valid point um, and can i ask about centralization um because obviously economies of scale offered by centralization are often cited as a key advantage of the the multi-academy trust system and i remember hearing at a conference from owen mcolgan ceo of howard academy trust well, he said that Ofsted did ask about the benefits that had been gained from centralisation, say, of um, HR, estates, risk management, safety, things like that. Um, but he said that his experience was that Ofsted didn't have a preferred operating style as such, but they might question, well, if you don't have a centralised function for X, Y or Z, how would MAT leaders know what the pressing issues are across the MAT? Well, was that your experience? Was that the feeling that you got? Um, I think there's two two different elements to that. So in the one part to say is that the MATSI really only focused on school improvement. So the back office services wasn't discussed, I don't think, at all with us. In fact, at times we were trying to push um, knowledge of that to them and saying, well, look, this is part of what we do. It's not just the school improvement side of things. So there was that element on the school improvement side, though. There was a misunderstanding, I think, from the lead HMI from the beginning that a MAT would have a approach to everything. So the starting conversations were often, so what is your approach to reading across the trust? What's your approach to maths? What scheme of work do you use across the trust? And we had to explain, well, in our organisation, the way we've set it up is that we have got what we refer to as licensed autonomy in many areas, mm. but there are a set of non-negotiables. So, for example, you know, with the curriculum, we're expecting it to follow certain guidelines. It's not just a case of a free for all, but there isn't an approach from our trust to schools. Yes, no, fair enough. OK, you mentioned the HMIs there. What were their backgrounds? Yeah, this was this was really interesting. Um, limited, I would say, in the sense of um, being involved in multi-academy trusts. Um, and, you know, that... That was discussed. I raised that with them. You know, I I, I called that out and um, had a discussion with them. One of the things I think Ofsted have been really good at in the last five years or so is making sure that their workforce going out into schools is now predominantly people who are existing practitioners, head teachers, teachers, senior leaders um, in schools. But the same isn't the case on MATSI reviews at the moment. And I think that's mostly because there isn't that expertise actually within Ofsted itself. You know, and some of that is around about the, the infancy of our sector. Yeah. Another thing, obviously, we've got to be very mindful of is that salaries of, you know, people like me, CEOs and directors of education, et cetera, 
can be higher than they would if you worked for for Ofsted. And therefore, there's not a great deal of incentive for CEOs, et cetera, to go and work in, in Ofsted. Sure, sure. So there are some significant challenges there then in terms of the inspection team. I wonder as well, I mean, you mentioned school improvement was a big focus there. Thinking about you know what the what the basis for assessing a strong trust might be, we had from the March 2022 white paper, obviously sort of sort of tentative definition of what a strong trust might be across five different areas. No massive surprises, including high quality and inclusive education, school improvement, strategic governance, financial management, workforce. And I remember reading the white paper, and there were there was a really big focus on professional development and some of the gains that that working as part of a trust might bring there. Do you think? those sort of five areas form a useful model for assessing trust effectiveness? Do you think there's anything missing, anything that needs to be you know, greater weighting on? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're broadly um, what you would accept. and You can't really argue uh, yeah. against, the, <laughs> against them, I don't think. And, 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 you know, we've got to be mindful of, of course, that, you know, this is public money that trusts are being invested into. And we, therefore, we've got to have an element of uh, accountability. One of the things that I think is potentially missing is safeguarding as a separate area in itself. Otherwise, it could easily get lost and be kind of become just a kind of a notional element. What I do wonder, though, is how can you look at all of those five areas, six of you add safeguarding and meaningfully report on that in a large organisation that's, you know, 50 schools in a process that's three, four days. I don't see how you can really get to the heart of those things safeguarding in itself could be three or four days Mm. and I think what we also need to think about who is best placed to do some of these things so the finance element for example well actually already we have auditors review our work on an annual basis safeguarding might be better coming from some local authorities to provide that overview and it may be that it becomes a more interdisciplinary kind of process rather than just Ofsted seeing this piece of work I see. Yeah, no, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I suppose, well, I suppose your only issue there is you might end up with teams of inspectors in throughout the whole year. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, you're absolutely right there, though, in terms of the breadth and the dip. I suppose there's a lot, there's a bigger business function um, and, and that that separate financial accountability, um, as you say, in terms of having you know auditors, that's there already. That makes sense. Um, coming back to the safeguarding, I mean, how challenging is it managing safeguarding across a whole multi-academy trust? I mean, we all know as, as a CEO, it's our most important aspect. You know, we, none of us wants a child or a member of staff to be harmed in any way or something to go missing and not noticed. Um, and it is that area that does keep you awake at, at night. Mm. And so for us, for example, we've made sure that in the central team, we've got a really trained individual who oversees all of that work, a real robustness that's going into our schools. But of course, we're a large trust now with 19 schools and therefore we can put that resource in at a central level. But a smaller trust may not be able to provide that and therefore may not be able to get all of that oversight that they would ideally like. Absolutely. And coming back to maybe other sorts of performance measures, if you like, and you know, if you could see me now, you'd see me air quoting the uh, <laughs> the performance measures. I noticed that there was with the um, secondary accountability measures consolidation across mats, and that data is now freely available online. Is it dangerous to be looking at aggregated, say, progress eight scores across a multi academy trust and and other such metrics? 
I think there's a difficulty here on what we refer to as a multi-academy trust or a schools trust. And it's the idea of treating us all of the same as if we we're homogenous and we've all got similar style schools. So you could have a multi-academy trust that has been formed of good or outstanding converter schools who's doing really well and data will therefore be really good. Whereas you could have a trust that's been formed of inadequate or high schools, schools that are struggling in challenging areas. And therefore looking at their data on paper against each other, one undoubtedly is going to look like it's performing better than the other at that point. Mm. But that trust that's on that journey of improving those schools is on that, just to say, it's on a journey. And I think we just have to be careful of how we use that data. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and then well, I suppose coming back to how do we define good, is it actually dangerous to be defining what good is in the first place? And obviously there needs to be accountability. You know, we need to make sure that public money is being spent in the best way possible. But what we've got here, I suppose, is the potential for quite a diverse system. So good in one place is going to look different from good in another place. What would you say about something like that? Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I already think the Schedule 5 inspections using the same framework is a tricky thing in comparing all schools using one framework. Yeah. The same is regarding the, the MATSI, actually, is a MAT could be two schools on the same site or mm-hmm. it could be a 50-60 trust um, organisation, all operating at very different um, ways. For me, the sector is still in its infancy where, you know, architects of a system that's being developed. There's no handbook as such about how to be a CEO, how to run a mat. There isn't that cultural knowledge that we've got that we have already around headship and running a school. Mm. And for me, when the education system was set up in this country, would it have been useful at that time to have an organisation overseeing it without doubt? But would it have been useful to at that point be making judgments and using terminology like good or outstanding? Probably not. And I think that's the Mm. same with where we are with the mats at the moment. We've still got that cultural knowledge to develop as a a country about what a mat is, how it can be effective, what does effectiveness look like. And whilst we haven't got that intelligence at uh, Ofsted level yet, because as I said, there's probably not a great deal of expertise at the moment within Ofsted regarding mats and being a CEO, I feel that we need to stick at a process which is like the one we've got now, which is an evaluation. It's not over judgmental. And definitely we don't move to a system yet where we're starting to use words like good and outstanding and just describe maths. I don't think this inspectorate has the knowledge yet to be able to do that with accuracy. Would you say then for a parent choosing which school to send their child to, it's probably still better for them to be looking at the individual school rather than considering the you know the, the wider multi-academy trust? I think the information there is there for parents and should be available for them to see to make sure that their trust that is running their proposed school is good and fit purpose. How much a parent is going to rely on that or even to be able to find that information is um, questionable. <laughs> So at the moment, the last time I looked at least, Ofsted hadn't put all of these MATSI reports together. They had at one point done that, and then they've taken them off one page and put them onto the individual trust's own pages. So yeah. you have to know that the trust has beat, had a MATSI in the first place to even find the report. Yeah, that, that's definitely my experience from going through them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tricky. And therefore, you know, one of the things that Ofsted said to me was, you know, one of the things that they wanted the process to do was so that, they and the sector could learn from one another. 
Well, to do that, then they need to be a little bit more transparent about where all these reports are and what is the learning? What are the themes that may be coming through on these reports? Sure. I mean, do you feel like you have any handle on that from other trusts across the country? Or is it things that you've just picked up maybe anecdotally when you've travelled or you've gone to conferences, things like that? Yeah, through the grapevine, I I knew of a number of uh, trusts that had had a MATSU review. So what I did when we got the call, actually, was to to go on their websites and pull them out, find out what things may be asked, what themes were running through those. So that was helpful. It would have been even more helpful to have it all easily at hand to be able to provide it with some kind of summary from Ofsted and what they're finding, really. Sure, absolutely. OK, well, well, thank you very much, Christopher, for your time today. It's been very insightful. I hope our listeners have enjoyed hearing us uh, chatting. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And for the latest updates and links to future episodes, please check out our social media channels.